Computer, initialize Holosuite. Holosuite Media. Greetings and felicitations. Hip, hip, hurrah, tally-ho. Hey, my little Georgia peach. Hey, Puddin. Know what we're going to do? We are going to start from issue number one and go all the way through. Starlog Magazine. Now, you (laughs) you were reading Starlog before I found out about Starlog. I mean, you had the advantage that you had an older brother that was getting it. So, for our listeners that are just jumping in for the first time, let's talk about where you grew up and how you were exposed to Starlog. Well, I remember living in Fitzgerald, Georgia, which is a small town in South Georgia, and and my brother had a Starlog magazine. The first one I saw was not number one. It was like, you know, 16 or something. I think it had Battlestar Galactica on the cover. But, um, yeah, I started um, looking at it and just thought it was cool. Nice. And I know, okay, like for issue one, I mean, I I used to have that one, but I, you know, I ordered it from the back issues, which which was great. I mean, I was so glad that Starlog had all their their back issues up for order. They were more expensive, but, you know, but I had to have it. Of course, of course. Um, I grew up in Hamden, Connecticut. There was a kid, it was early 80s, let's see, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan had just come out, as well as Empire Strikes Back before that, and this kid brought in this, into into school, Starlog Magazine, and I was just amazed, because this kid, Matthew Elliott, loved, loved, loved Wrath of Khan, he was obsessed with it, and I had someone that I could talk to about the Wrath of Khan, and so... I found out about conventions through this kid, and Starlog Magazine had convention listings. It was my internet before the internet. It had so many interesting articles. Yeah, it had, it had like exactly what what we wanted to see, and and things that we didn't know about. Yes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a little bit of everything. It started out, uh, Carrie O'Quinn, publisher, started out initially wanting to be a Star Trek magazine, but licensing issues, things of that sort, would be too complicated, so he decided to branch out and make it Trek-centric, but talk about the whole world of science fiction. And as time went on, that ended up being a winning combination. Yes, it, it was, the first issue was associated mostly, mostly with Star Trek, even though it had other stuff. But, I mean, but all through Starlog, they, they covered everything having to do with Star Trek. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about issue number one, cover date August 1976. What I found fascinating about this, we try to put ourselves in the mind of 1976. And when you look back, things that we would view as very old now weren't too old back then. So it has articles, look at the cover. It says, Building the Bionic Woman. So that was current for 1976. The future of space 1999 will change his help. That was current. Yes, space 1999 was on TV. David Bowie's new sci-fi movie. Okay, reporting on something current. Latest news, sci-fi movies, TV, books, records, etc. 
Then it brings up in the corner King Kong, the old versus the new, and starts talking about the 1933 King Kong movie. Now, that's pretty cool in the yeah. fact that it was doing some retro articles, but it was tying into the future King Kong movie that was going to be released by Dino De Laurentiis. Uh, so I love the fact also that it has a collector section, Star Trek Complete Episode Guide, all 79 episodes. So we're looking at Star Trek had been off the air for just shy of a decade by this point. Yes. All right. It was celebrating its uh, 10-year anniversary, we could say, uh, this year, 76. So it was looking back at science fiction, reporting on current science fiction, and then looking ahead. And this, this proved to be a winning formula. Now, before this came out, I'd say the the ultimate magazine for genre would be Famous Monsters of Filmland. So Famous Monsters of Filmland, I was familiar with that because my grandfather would get it. And he was a collector, and he would keep them nicely stacked and, and even, no dog ears on the edges or anything. And I would just look through that magazine with amazement. But when Starlog came out, this set a precedent for genre magazines because it realized that it was going to cover all aspects of science fiction, fantasy, horror, action, adventure, to the point where within time they're going to branch out and make individual magazines for such subject matter. The way they expanded was cool. I mean, you know, as we've talked about, they, they went into James Bond later. I mean, sure. which is which was, you know, action and and to some point had had Indiana some sci fi elements. Yes. I mean, I mean they they knew what we liked. That that's really what it came down to is they t- kind of figured out what back then we were called nerds. I guess the term now is more geeks, but they they knew the stuff that we liked and it was all combined, even musically. David Bowie. David Bowie had that sci fi element to him. So he was included. His work was included in Sci-Fi and Starlog. Another cool element. Yes, they they knew uh, their target, like that, you know, and it and it was our age group at the time, or some some of the young people, the under eighteen age group. Mm-hmm. That's I think that was their target, and they knew what we wanted to see. So let's talk about this premiere issue. A uh, beautiful color cover, William Shatner and Leonard Nimoy as Kirk and Spock, with the Enterprise. In the background, and this is an artist mm-hmm. um, painting. Artist it's not, yeah, it's not a, a photograph. They did use photographs later on. Whole magazine is black and white, with the exception of how it says on the cover: sixteen pages of color photos. So as we open it, the inset King Kong pre-production drawing. Beautiful artwork, and, and by the way, we're collectors. We have all the original magazines. But Starlog was released online for everyone to view for free. Yeah, you mean it was released online a few years ago, not mm-hmm. back then when it was new, yeah, when just, it was in yeah, production. Yeah. But just yeah. a few years ago, because I remember when they did release it, I devoured it online. I was looking at all kinds of issues that I didn't have. Yeah, I did too. It was great. Yeah, and to go back and remember the stuff, you know, oh, I had that issue. I mean, yeah, because after a while, we somehow we didn't keep the ones that we had when we were, you know, kids and teenagers. And so now it's like, oh, look at that, you know, rediscovering everything. So either way, if you want to follow along with us uh, via online or via the physical magazines or just sit back and listen, we're going to give you an audio guide to the Starlog magazine. It was based in New York, New York. O'Quinn Studios, 
Publishers are Carrie O'Quinn and Norman Jacobs. I think Carrie O'Quinn stayed the publisher during the whole uh, time. They changed sure did. editors, I know. Mm-hmm. So there's kind of a, it's an introduction when we open up past the contents. It says, let us hear from you. You could win a free subscription. So there's a questionnaire, which makes sense. The first issue. They want to know what the readers want, which I like that. I like it when, when, when the opinion uh, is valued. Welcome to Starlog. Dear reader, you are holding the first issue of a new quarterly magazine devoted to the field of science fiction in films and television. The realm that combines science, adventure, romance, and philosophy. It's a quarterly magazine at first. That was what they probably what they thought they could afford. I mean, yeah, it, it when I was reading it, it was um, it was monthly. Mm-hmm. At best, science fiction is the visual media that creates worlds apart from our own, in which we can lose ourselves for a time while dwelling upon truths about the human condition that can be isolated by imagination and presented dramatically. goes on to say uh, various genres that would be included, such as Twilight Zone, Day the Earth Stood Still, uh, Landmark, 2001, The Space Odyssey. It continues by relating, We have chosen to introduce Starlog to the reading public with a spectacular special section on Star Trek the most artistically successful series with continuing characters ever produced for television. And this is something that we're going to see constant in the early issues of Starlog, is that they would have pull-out sections, so it was really an IMDB for the 70s, a listing of all the episodes. Yeah, I mean, because those kind of things were rare back then. I mean, where else could you find it? And, and I used the, the list of Star Trek episodes from Starlog. It goes on to say, Starlog will, if you're half the science fiction enthusiast we think you are, give you worlds to think about and look forward to. Join us quarterly as we explore both new and classic visions of the future that come to life in films and on television. Welcome to Starlog. David Houston, Editor-in-Chief. Next page is latest news from the worlds of science fiction. Log entries. First one, The Man Who Fell to Earth. An article about the new David Bowie movie. It's based on a 1963 science fiction novel by Walter Tevis. Also, science fiction from American International. Those folks that brought you the land that time forgot had dusted off another Edgar Rice Burroughs novel and will soon present at the Earth's core. Logan's Run MGM has completed their multi-million dollar movie based on the novel Logan's Run by William F. Nor Nolan and George Clayton Johnson. Which it, at the time this came out, I didn't know anything about Logan's Run. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sci-Fi Expo 76 in New York. Remember how we said we would get convention news from Starlog Magazine? Yes. Well, this was part of the, not advertisements, but a news article about a science fiction convention that would go on in New York. If you look at who the guests are, they're primarily guests who are literary guests, such as Lynn Carter, Isaac Asimov, 
Ben Bova, Hal Clement. I, that's, it's just wonderful to think that. Another newsworthy item, Meteor. New movie that would be coming out. Star Trek in Washington, D.C. The first annual Star Trek expedition of Washington, D.C. has been planned for July 9th to 11th, 1976. When Worlds Collide to be Remade Universal and Paramount will jointly remake George Powell's classic When Worlds Collide. Wonder Woman Lives Although ABC did not include Wonder Woman in its recently announced lineup of fall TV shows, they decided to keep it warm enough to rush in as a replacement. In the spring, two additional hour-long episodes were made and scheduled for showing in the Bionic Woman slot on Wednesday nights. Great shows. I definitely Wonder Woman. remember that. Yeah. Because, yeah, I remember that because I was watching Wonder Woman. Bionic Woman was on first, and then I heard that um, like Bionic Woman w- wouldn't be on because they're going to show Wonder Woman, which was a new show. And I was like, oh, Wonder Woman, I want to see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And I had already been watching you know, the Super Friends on Saturday morning, so mm-hmm. I was familiar with Wonder Woman that way. I hadn't read the comic books yet. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I was excited to see Wonder Woman. This is kind of curious. It's, uh, it's Space 1990 news. Record, recorded confusion, and it shows... Two record albums virtually identical as far as the picture sleeves. It says there are two new albums of music and drama from Space 1999, and one must be careful not to confuse the two. One is an orchestral novel, and one is a dramatization. Go figure, huh? Yeah. Sci-Fi Academy Awards. The 200-member Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films gave top honors to Rollerball, Doc Savage, and Young Frankenstein, naming them the best films in their genre for 1975. On page 8, The Bionic Woman, Creating a Cyborg for the 70s. Great pictures of Lindsay Wagner, and we're both Bionic Woman fans. Yes. I I mean, it, it was a female superhero show, but she was a more human superhero. Mm-hmm. It was, remember when we rewatched the Six Million Dollar Man? They did mention, it was one of the early, I think it might have been in the pilot episode, that they referenced Steve Austin as being like a Frankenstein monster. And it's interesting, this article starts out with, the now famous bionic lady is... In the words of her creator, Kenneth Johnson, the bride of Frankenstein. Yeah, that's funny. And well, But the thing is, they actually said that on the show. Mm-hmm. So this article could have been written after this person saw the show, too. It goes on to say about how uh, it started back in 1973, the $6 Million Man TV show, and how television critics the nation over snorted but audiences soon found the show and made it a hit ratings zoomed our hero was practically invincible government agent whose body was recreated via biological enhancement hence the term bionic science after he was chewed up in a crash of a re-entry vehicle he was testing for NASA and we know that Jamie Summers was 
introduced on the Bionic Man or the Six Million Dollar Man. Yes, and she when she was on it, uh, she actually died. I mean, they made her Bionic, but then she died. And 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 I don't think they intended to bring her back, but it was the audience, the fan reaction that wanted to see more of her. So they decided to bring her back, which was cool, and we're so glad they brought her back. Mm-hmm. Harv Bennett goes on to say, I suggested the Bride of Frankenstein give him a bionic woman, and everyone liked the idea. Went home and wrote a script within a week. Harv Bennett also produced some Star Trek movies. Absolutely. <laughs> and so having that relationship uh, really fleshed out the character of Steve Austin so much more so. Yes. And I have to say, too, just comparing it again, going back to Wonder Woman, because, I mean, I used to love both shows as a child. But now, like having grown up and watching both shows now, the Bionic Woman had so much more depth. I mean, it was incredible was, drama. Yeah. It was it was well written, even if it didn't have her super heroics. Yeah, because she was a real person. She had vulnerabilities and insecurities, and Wonder Woman was really just um, a, a plastic character. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, this this show was was really awesome. I like this sentence. With Jamie Summers introduced in the end of the first season, she gave the woman a hero to root for and to identify with. I designed her as the complete woman. She is not self-conscious or a second-class citizen. She is a very together woman. She has been a tennis pro. Now she teaches 6th and 7th grade at school in Ojai. We are injecting satire in humor, as you know. And I think that's one thing that I very much like about the show, too. It has a little bit of everything. It has action. It has some comedy, not over-the-top comedy. has some drama in it. I mean, Jamie's just all around. She, she was one of my early crushes as a kid. Yeah, I can I can see that because she was smart and beautiful. And, I mean, she had these amazing powers. The article continues on. Um, he said, I decided to treat her with cryogenic therapy and neurosurgery. Oh, this is how they explained how they brought her back to life. A few weeks later, quite coincidentally, I met a NASA scientist and a neurosurgeon. I posed my hypothetical problem to them, asking what procedures they would have followed had this been an actual circumstance. They both agreed with my handling of the case. Yeah, the way they explained it, she had... Um, been cryogenically frozen for a while, mm-hmm. and and then they woke her up because uh, she, well, I mean, she might have woken up naturally, but but the way she had died, it was because her body was rejecting the bionics. So they thought over time they would just try to freeze her and then see what happened. So and her bionics were fine when she woke up. She mm-hmm. didn't even have to readjust. I mean, they they didn't show that going through therapy or anything. That's right. So that's, I mean, that's the science fiction element of it. Because they wanted to focus more on her relationship, I think, at that time. Mm -hmm. I like this poem that's uh, listed in here. There once was a woman, bionic, whose story was rather ironic. When her counterpart kissed her, she blew a transistor, and now relations are simply platonic. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I think they wanted some excuse for her... Not to have a romance with Steve because they wanted her to have her own show. And so they they had this idea that she had amnesia and she didn't remember being in love with Steve. And and that was really sad, too. Mm-hmm. But 
it, it was a good writing point just to just to have her be independent. I loved them as a couple. I considered them the super couple, even though in real life Lee Majors was married to Farrah Fawcett. Yes. And she was featured on an episode of Six Million Dollar Man. But as I continued to grow up, I was so glad that they had made for TV movies and kept bringing her back, bringing them back together. I mean, they were a true super couple. Oh, yeah. I remember the the TV movies, the reunion movies, and then they eventually did get married. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the article wraps up. There remain but one unanswered puzzle about that name. Jamie Summers. How did he come up with it? She's a real person, he proclaimed proudly. I produced the killer whale shows for SeaWorld, and we worked with a water skier named Jamie Summers. I decided that was the ideal name for our heroine. The real Jamie is very pleased. Oh, wow. How cool is that, huh? (laughs) Another show in 1976... Rolling into the second season, Space 1999. Radical changes for the second season. What did you think about Space 1999? I watched it as a child. Um, yeah, now that I'm older, I'm not sure this one holds up as well for me. But but I know this article is saying the um, so the second season was when they added Catherine Shell as Maya. I did like mm-hmm. that character. I mean, she was the most interesting character, yeah. See, I really did like, as an adult, I like, I'm rewatching as an adult, I like the first season a lot better. It's more metaphysical. They tried to add more elements of action and adventure in the second season. But but I don't dislike it. Okay. I just like it kind of in a different way. It, but it I love the first season. Yeah. When I was rewatching, it seemed kind of slow, which I guess is the it way is, they wanted it. Is, it. Yeah. it is. Well, it's British. But right, television yes. tends to be more dialogue heavy. Article starts out by David Houston saying, From the conversation overheard on a New York Crosstown bus between a sophisticated looking woman and a notebook toting young man, dumb thing that Channel 11 did, they put Space 1999 on right after Star Trek. It makes space look sick, he said. I couldn't agree more. Why half? the time, I can't understand Space 1999 at all. I don't even know what they're trying to say, she replied. <laughs> <laughs> well, I never had a problem with understanding them because they had the two main actors were American, and the British accents were never so strong that I couldn't understand them. Yeah, I don't think that was a problem for me. Article continues, the shore is more going on than its superb visual effects. The Jules Verne-like notion of traveling moon makes it different from almost any other science fiction adventure. A spine-chilling aspect of uncertainty underlies all the episodes precisely because the astronauts of Moonbase Alpha are traveling out of control and have to cope with unchosen conflicts. The acting style underscores the reality and seriousness of the bizarre futuristic situation, and while acknowledging human fallibility, the characterizations nevertheless present a semi-heroic picture of humanity. I mean, this is a Jerry Anderson production, and I, it's one of my favorite Jerry Anderson productions. Battle of the Titans, two new 
Kongs challenged the king. Shows a lot of pictures of the 1933 King Kong. And the article starts out by saying, In one of the most talked about legal hassles in the movie industry's history, both Paramount and Universal have simultaneously claimed remake rights to Marion C. Cooper's immortal King Kong, and at press time plan for two separate incarnations are underway. Now go figure that. Because of legal battles, they were thinking about having two different King Kong movies. A Universal released one and a Paramount released one. It's strange. Yeah, even to think about that. Uh, we know that the Paramount one is the one that became just a blockbuster, the Dino De Laurentiis production. In 1976, that was a newsworthy item, whether either or both were going to be released. Worm. Importing giant worms for maximum slither. Now, this is why I say that they really needed to make a Fangoria magazine, because this is total horror right here. It's just gross even looking at this article. It is, yeah. I, I mean, I don't think I ever <laughs> read that one. Um, it's a Lansbury bearish production of Squirm. A sudden electrical storm strikes the rural seacoast town of Fly Creek, Georgia. High winds send power lines plummeting into the muddy swamp-like earth and millions of amps of current are pumped into the ground. All power to the town is cut off and during the period that follows the storm, the citizens of Fly Creek experience what scientists to believe one of the most bizarre and terrifying freaks of nature ever recorded. And it's just worms coming out over the ground. Some Star Trek articles, and we're going to talk more about the Star Trek articles of these magazines uh, going forward in our companion podcast, Star Pod Trek. Last but not least, the magazine closes with a picture of Lindsay Wagner as Jamie Summers. That's a kind of a strange picture to put as a pinup. It is, yeah. It doesn't make a good pinup, no. <laughs> Looks just like a candid shot of her turning around in military fatigues. Kenner's new bionic woman, Jamie Summers, and the new bionic beauty salon sold separately. Assembly required. Jamie Summers had a rest mission. We better check her bionic system. She's okay. Steve Austin will be here soon. I'll brush and comb her beautiful hair. He's here! She's ready! The Bionic Beauty Salon, new from Kenner. The Bionic Woman, sold separately. All right, let's talk about Starlog number two. Released November of 1976. Newsflash, the Star Trek movie. Fantastic color photos. $1.50 cover price. Cover has a beautiful painted illustration of the main characters in Season 2 of Space 1999. H.G. Wells to NASA, Mars Invasions. New TV season. Sci-fi movie previews. Comics, superheroes in Hollywood. Famous Trekkies. Latest news and Logan's Run soundtrack albums. Flash Gordon, and there's a collector section for Space 1999 Fall Preview. So we open up the magazine. There's a photo of 
the Bionic Woman. Fantastic episodes. Yeah, I liked Bigfoot on those shows. And and they had What was it like when you had them? Do you remember which which aspects of the of the dolls you had cuz you had some of the add-ons too, right? Yeah, you know, because they sold, a, you know, like a lot of accessories too with the dolls. Now, now with the 6 million dollar man, I think the like like there was that engine that he could lift and that came with the doll, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one came with it. So, yeah, there was the engine and you pushed the that you looked through. And um and he wore the red jumpsuit, right? That's right. Yep. Yep. Oh, we loved that. <laughs> I mean, my yeah, brother that... and I had that. What about yeah. the bionic woman doll? You had her. And then her bottom was it was um, a long blue dress. I mean, the top and bottom were the same color of um, a, a light shade of blue, and the bottom part of it was just a long skirt. And so, I mean, yeah, she was beautiful. And and I had the um, it, it was like the bionic woman. Dome house? I don't know what they called it, but it was... So it was different than a Barbie dream house. Right, because I used to... Well, yeah, I had a Barbie dream house, too. That was separate. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The Bionic Woman house was like... It was like bubble-shaped. It was round with a flat bottom. And the bottom was one piece. It was like a piece of plastic. There was different colors. And then the top part was... um, I, I seem to remember a white frame. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it was a wire frame, and 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 it had lots of clear plastic so you could see through it, and and you had to lift it up to put to put the doll inside it. And so she she lounged around basically because she wasn't dressed to do action, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so there was a little plastic couch for her to lie on, and so I had this all laid out, and it it was in my parents' house. It was in, it was in the living room. I think it was because this house took up a lot of floor space, so there wasn't really room for it in my bedroom. So it was just in the living room. So I could just play with it there while my parents were watching TV or something. Now, what if Bionic Woman needed recharging? Did you have a recharging station for her? I had that too, yeah. So that was outside of the house. I mean, yeah, the little, yeah, the other charging station you could buy, I think it was something like to check, it was like to test her bionics or Mm -hmm. something. And there was like so there was this like a table console and little pa- paper. That's awesome. And it's like, yeah. I mean, I think how did it work though? It seems like you turn it or something to get it to get oh, the pen okay. to write on. <laughs> That's the way I remember it. That's cool. Yes, yeah, Starlog issue number two, the magazine of the future, November nineteen seventy six. Has an ad in there for the wonderful world of comic books, the Nostalgia Book Club. It is, uh, it says, well, it isn't great literature, but we all read it. On a lazy summer afternoon, the only sound heard in the land was the flipping of comic book pages at Pop Soda Fountain or under the old elm tree. In the comic book, popular culture historians Dick Lupoff and Don Thompson continue the missionary work they began with their justly acclaimed pioneer volume all in color for a dime so i guess it's more of a volume of telling how comic books came to be it's advertised for 7.95 and you could send away for it new rochelle new york and, and you have to think um starlog readers were big comic book nerds too totally and uh, that's yeah. why it, ev- we read every article in here and virtually every article we can say this is awesome yes News from around the worlds of science fiction, log entries. Future World Today. 
When you see Future World, the new AI sequel to Westworld, you're going to find the settings thoroughly convincing, settings for thoroughly convincing and quite spectacular. No wonder they're real. Much of the film was shot on location at the Johnson Mann Spacecraft Center in Houston, Texas. Oh, okay. That's neat. Bradbury on radio. Ray Bradbury and Norman Corwin have combined their talents to produce a series of 37 sci-fi radio dramas based on Bradbury's short stories. Now that I find is kind of strange. 1976. Mm-hmm. Were people really listening to radio dramas then? I, I think so. I mean, I remember them. They, or maybe they were made a comeback in the 80s, but yeah, I think so. I remember so. hearing the cassettes of them in the 80s. Like I would get Burns and Allen... They had HG Wells stuff. They it's so uh, I mean the the the, the Shadow, the Phantom, Superman, but I um uh, I don't know. New David Bowie film, Bowie's Man Who Fell to Earth, is in the current release. Nick Tate was in New York. When Worlds Collide, the stri- script for the new Paramount Universal remake of When Worlds Collide will be penned by Anthony Burgess. It has just been announced. Now, he, this is has to be one of the early pressings that says the word Star Wars. 20th Century Fox is currently completing the filming of their latest science fiction blockbuster, Star Wars. Without any parts of the film even being previewed yet, some critics have already heralded Star Wars as everything in science fiction you've always wanted to see on the screen but knew no one would ever put it there. Star Wars is written and directed by George Lucas, the man responsible for THX 1138 and American Graffiti. Producer Gary Wirtz, working with an $8 million budget, has taken Star Wars on location in both Tunisia and London. Star Wars is about a galaxy-wide civil war set in distant future when Earth and its past have been entirely forgotten. Sir Alec Guinness plays an old renegade who was a great general in the first Galactic Wars. Mark Hamill plays the film's starring role, Luke Starkiller, a young adventurer. Stuart Freeman, the man who designed the spectacular ape costumes for 2001 A Space Odyssey, has created several alien designs and makeup for Star Wars' large cast. In addition to its basic science fiction format, Star Wars is also contain elements of fantasy. Star Wars reportedly won't be ready for release until early 1977, but for those of you who can't wait that long to find out more, Ballantine Books plans to put out a novelization of the movie in bookstores sometime this fall. Okay, so let's talk about that. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting article. That that was just a little blurb. Yeah, They're saying it's set in the future. I, I Yeah, I know, so that must have been changed or something. Or they got the information wrong, or... Yeah, nobody could saw be. it, right? right. Um, isn't that wild, though, to think that the novelization was going to come out the fall of 76? Like, yeah. that would never happen now. Yeah, putting the novel- novelization out so early. Mm-hmm. And or before the movie. Yeah, it's crazy to think about it. And he was Luke's star killer at first. Yeah. Yeah. Another news article and log entries, King Kong in New York. For those of us 
in and around manhattan during the week of june twenty first the demise of the greatest of movie apes is a rare treat for several nights running searchlights and spotlights were created a particular glow on the clouds over the world trade center in the usually dark wall street area dino de laurentis was here on location filming the finale of his new paramount updated version of king kong damn that must have been really cool to be in New York City in 1976 to uh, to see all that was going on there. They actually had, look at this, the Times Square version of the ape was to be a mere 35 feet high rather than the 40 feet of the filming model used at the Trade Center. The specifications called for it to be capable of withstanding 100 mile an hour winds. It would be surrounded by a 10 foot high fence and guarded by security cops around the block. So, they had an ape in Times Square <laughs> to film it there. Like, how cool would that have been? I mean, yeah, totally. It shows a picture of. Oh, is that the ape right there? Yeah, it shows a picture okay. of Kong with people surrounding him. He's lying down. That's when he's dead, right? Yeah. That's, yeah. I mean, these black and white pictures are, are. I mean, I can't say they're really that good, but I guess it's the best they could have done back then. Mm hmm. There was going to be a new War of the Worlds recording. And the H.G. Wells novel, The Food of the Gods, uh, would be a movie. MGM Sci-Fi Bandwagon. Although the definitive box office figures are not yet in, MGM is counting on the success of Logan's Run, in spite of unenthusiastic critical notices. Interesting, huh? I, I yeah. can't imagine why that would be unenthusiastic. I, I thought it was a fantastic movie. I don't know how popular it was. I guess like like not as many people had read the book at that time or were familiar with it. But it says critical responses were not good. <sighs> I mean, it could go either way. Critics half the time don't know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. $7 million Nessie. It's a wonder nobody's done it before, although they've Wave they've done it ever since the creature from the Black Lagoon. Now in pre-production for release is in the summer of 1977, Nessie, the story of the Loch Ness Monster. I don't ever remember that movie, do you? No. <laughs> okay. Now we get into an article exploring Logan's 23rd century world. The complex society depicted in MGM's new Logan's Run is often visually breathtaking, but the situations somewhere are only partially represented. One is left hungry for more data and more meaning. Sometimes the information is there, but it is glossed over so parenthetically that it falls, fails to register. We here present a detailed excursion through Logan's world, stressing the delicious vocabulary developed for the novel and the film, and with material added from the novel to make the MGM world of the future more fully intelligible. So this is a color section now, and boy, I love Logan's Run. Yeah, I, I thought it was an amazing it. movie. Well, I mean, I, I saw it on TV. Did you so did I. It? Okay, yeah. I saw it on TV. Yeah, not when it came out in theaters. No, beautiful pictures, though. Um and you're seeing, it was, I mean, this thing, the the whole carousel scene was, it was frightening. I saw it, I'm going to tell you when I saw it, just after Empire Strikes Back. Because 
I had some. I, I think it was the Empire Strikes Back storybook that I had that showed on the back maybe a picture of R two D two and C three PO, and they were in ice on Hoth. And my father made a comment saying, "Oh, it's like a ripoff of Logan's Run." And I said, "What's that?" And he said, "Oh, it'll be on TV when when it comes on. I'll show you. It's a really good science fiction movie." And so he was referring to the ice scene. Mm-hmm. And oh man, I was blown away with this movie because look, when when you're in grammar school, dying at thirty is pretty much the same as dying at one hundred. I couldn't even picture getting out of high school. Yeah. Yeah, ne- I mean, never mind dying at thirty. I mean, it's not as scary for a kid. Then, no, no, then, no, yeah. no, no, not at all. Man, what what an amazing, amazing movie uh, this was. Uh, brings about some points. Uh, the time flower is a radiant crystal that changes color to denote allowable stages of life. White from infancy to 8, yellow from 8 to 15, green from 15 to 22, and red from 22 to 10 days before one's 30th birthday. For the last 10 days, the time flower blinks until last day when it turns symbolically black. I love that concept of having a crystal on your palm. I Wasn't mean, it the, weird? The visuals, I mean, it, it was. Yeah. It was weird. That's what made this science fiction so awesome. Now, they did have to change it, the book, to the movie. They didn't want to have 20-year-olds die, so they moved it up to 30-year-olds, mm-hmm. uh, which I think it, was, it made sense. I like the casting. Arguably, Michael York was older than 30, but I think he still, it was believable. It was. I mean, it was, it was a good movie, yeah. Mm-hmm. I also know that when they made the TV series out of it. Oh, yeah. I liked that. No, well, I only saw the TV show in reruns. But, mm-hmm. I, I mean, yeah, I loved it, and it was only a few episodes. The new television season for 1976. We have some color photos there of... Of Wonder Woman. The caption, Linda Carter appears as the new original Wonder Woman on ABC this fall. It says, left NBC's fall season features Ben Murphy as Sam Casey in The Gemini Man. Sam is a special agent who can make himself invisible at will. Below, Richard B. Schull is Detective Holmes in the new ABC comedy Holmes and Yo-Yo. He is trying to figure out the inner workings of his robot assistant Yo-Yo, played by John Shuck. Uh, so we have quite a few listings of different science fiction shows. They're going to continue on with Six Million Dollar Man. Uh, they ditched last season's The Invisible Man. Big write-up about Wonder Woman. I think that's the thing that most people were excited about during that time. It, it was popular back then, yeah. But, I mean, it only lasted three seasons. But it's still, I mean, you know, now it's a classic. And, and everybody knows who Linda Carter is. In addition to its regular schedule, ABC has lately brought 11 hours of the new original Wonder Woman. ABC's disastrous experience with another version, starring Kathy Lee Crosby, might have deterred some folks, but the higher-ups decided that if the treatment wasn't right, the subject matter was. So they have come back with Linda Carter. She was Miss USA for 1973. And the classic costume, aided and abetted by Lyle Wagner as Wonder Woman's faithful and trouble-prone boyfriend, Major Steve Trevor. 
The first two episodes will be reruns of the two showings last March and April, and will be Movie of the Week segments on September 11th and 18th. Then throughout the fall, more episodes of varying lengths will be shown. I, I mean, I don't remember Steve Trevor being treated like a boyfriend. It's not like they actually <laughs> went out on dates or anything. Huh. I guess to a degree, now that you're saying it, I guess it was... He also didn't know who she was. <laughs> yeah, how dumb can you be? Like, if you yeah. put glasses on, I know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you're right. Like, but he was, like, clueless. Yeah, but he was a good guy. Yeah. <laughs> and, and did you see that other, the, the Kathy Lee Crosby version? I didn't like it. It was oh, weird. I did. I liked it. I did not. <laughs> it was on, I mean, because I saw that every time it came on TV. I loved watching it. <laughs> I remember seeing a um, at conventions in the 80s and 90s, they would sell the bootleg tapes, the videotapes. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing it at a convention there. Okay. Segments of it just going, oh, I'm so glad Linda Carter. <laughs> yeah, it, it wasn't as good as, as Linda Carter, yeah. but yeah, but I liked it. It was just a one-time movie. I was like, wow. The new season would certainly be less impressive if there were no Space 1999 back on the air. Whatever one's feelings about year one, as ITC is calling it, 1999 was the only new purely science fiction series last season, and as such was a great relief from the seemingly innumerable police stories. It's kind of funny. I remember an interview at Harlan Ellison, him saying that during this time period that television was bombarded with police shows. And he found mm-hmm. it disdainful. Okay. I mean, he hates everything. He's just a grouchy <laughs> person. But I mean, he, he thought that was like the lowest common denominator of television, just the overabundance of police stories. I mean, TV goes through, you know, overabundance of, of different things. You know, it used to be westerns, you know. Sure. And then, and now it's just what, reality shows? Yeah, reality. The, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everything is like a trend. They, 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 they kill it to the point where it's annoying. Yes. Next article, The War of the Worlds. Now, this is in the tradition of Star Law. Going back, let's look at the back, back roots of science fiction and how it leads up to today. So it's so it's all the different variations of War of the Worlds, the different incarnations, uh, the classic 1950s movie, and even mentions some classic illustrated comic books. you got to figure this is... Uh, over a hundred years old, War of the Worlds. It's, it's amazing, a huh? yeah, and and so it's of course it's still popular. Mentions the Marvel Comics War of the World series that that was out. Do, do you even think about what what year it was? Nineteen ninety nine, and and now for us that's in the past, but for, for them it was far enough ahead in the future that they made it that year. It was and so they thought, future. Well, computers were yeah. just getting out into the public at that time, mid seventies. Yes, when, 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 when they out. were like more expensive and everything. And they took yeah. up an entire room too. Right. The, the, you know the the, the full size ones that companies would have. I don't. 1970s were there home computers at that time? There, there might have been, but they just weren't as they common. Would, yeah, it must have been enormously expensive. Yeah. But uh, this article, recovering what? from the mysterious unknown force, Space 1999 is the first television series in history to acknowledge its shortcomings publicly and then to attempt to rectify the situation. The producers are now engaged in an admirable orgy of explanation in an attempt to fill in first season story gaps. 
and to set up a valid continuity for the second year. Here's a good sampling of that material. Okay, so let's let, let's look at this. Now you mentioned about the first season of Space 1999 it was kind of slow. That there were just aspects they couldn't get the pacing right. I mean, yeah, I just like there were like I don't know. You walk a little bit on the space station and then you talk and walk a little more and talk. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, but then the, the next season, second and last season, uh, I think they made it too action oriented. Well, well, adding Catherine Shell, who could turn into a monster. That, like was, that was, yes. And they yeah. made her the savior, constantly. Like, we couldn't have done it without you. Yes, right? yes. I think that's going to the other extreme. Um, but there are still elements of both seasons that I enjoy. Brian Blessing, I mean, the episode second season with him were great. Um, no matter what he's in, is great. So, I mean, th- there were some bright spots there. The article says, how much data is enough? How understated can a story be before it becomes unstated? Perhaps these questions have no definitive answer, but it's fair to demand that a story contain enough information to explain the events and motives of the characters, even in science fiction, even in fantasy. And so it breaks down the first episode of the second season, Metamorph. It says it's a straightforward adventure story. The theme is truth conquers all and at that conclusion the audience is left with a perfectly clear idea of what has transpired and in what way the Alphans lives have been affected so this is an entire section about full color photos I mean great great shots here I love these full color sections that are in the the black and white issues does mention that it had new theme music that was a big change not just the yeah. pacing of the story, something but to, the music. Something to jazz it up, yeah. All in all, it looks like a season of great improvements. This is the damn good thing, since it's the only new science fiction spectacular we've got. <laughs> I, I mean, this magazine was, you know, great publicity for these shows. It was, it was. And, and now we have the section of 75 to 76 season, the complete filmography. Uh it's great. It's it's just awesome looking at all these episodes and a little synopsis. This was the only thing of its kind back in in the day. Yeah, the that's why died. that's why we loved this. Yeah, I mean it's like you know fi- finding a list of episodes of a show you like. I mean it, it was just rare back then. You know now sure. we're we have too much information, but back then you know this was like all we had. Flash Gordon on the planet of sophistication. Again, we're we're seeing another retroactive, something that was in the past, but how it relates to the current or future. An entire article about science fiction uh, character Flash Gordon from the 1930s. And the, the Universal Serials. We even have a serial breakdown, episode by episode. This is the type of thing that my grandfather loved. And they would have things similar to this in Famous Monsters of Filmland. Yeah, these these kinds of pictures of Flash Gordon. It was like, I mean, it was very old style science fiction. And you look at it, and, and it was it was imaginative for the time. And I mean, even in the black and white pictures, you can tell those costumes are very different from what yes. we wear. You know, bringing the comics to life. In keeping with Hollywood's trend towards nostalgia escapism, those fearless, larger-than-life comic book crusaders of yesteryear are making a comeback. 
Both movies and TV are swamped with projects based on the thrilling pen and ink drawings of America's favorite comic creations. And far from the campy, self-destructive parodies that sprang from the Batman video craze a decade ago, most of these new incarnations are being played straight. So it shows a picture of the crossover comic, Superman vs. Spider-Man. And it's the article starts out by talking about the new movie that was in the works. Superman, it was called Superman the Man. Okay. <laughs> it would be called Superman the movie. Right. Right? Yeah. yeah this is Superman the man. I mean, you got to think about it. Superheroes before 1976 were played more towards 12 years old and under, right? Yeah. They, they, they were made... campy. They were for kids. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas that Superman the movie changed everything. It did. I mean, it still had some camp and some comedy. But it was still a great movie, and it was still something adults could enjoy. And I, I mean, you know, and, and everybody just loved Christopher Reeve. It's interesting. It asks, who will be playing the Man of Steel in this new contemporary adventure? Would you believe? Burt Reynolds. How about Robert Redford? James Caan? All three have been considered, although at press time no decision has been reached. However, the role of Superman's father has been cast, Marlon Brando. And and I think I heard they kind of wanted it to be a, a good vehicle for him. I mean, he was yeah he he wanted to do it and play Jor-El and 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 have the uh, the super the S emblem on his chest and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they made it all for him. They just they did yeah. all of that. The all, the whole scene on Krypton was for him. Next, it mentions the Spider-Man was on the Electric Company. We know that. But oh, yeah, that was great. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't great. Remember, he never spoke? Yeah, I know. They just had the word bubbles for him, but everyone else spoke. Stan Lee has announced that a major motion picture about Spider-Man to be produced by Stephen Krantz. Few details are known other than it will be a live-action extravaganza, along with a reasonably high budget. Another Marvel superstar, The Incredible Hulk, is also slated for a movie adaption. They didn't do those movies back then. They no, did TV they, shows. Yeah, yeah um, you remember the, the Spider-Man yeah, yeah. TV show? I do. Yeah. Okay. Deadly Dust. Yeah, it was great. I don't remember. That was I know the, that I had that title. guy. That, yeah. Okay. Um, and it was the, yeah that one was short-lived too, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. He had like the the wristbands that were silver. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So above, uh, it has a picture, almost like a, a hypnotic picture. And it says, what happens when you find this guy capable of leaping tall buildings in a single bound? You take $6 million Steve Austin and give him his own comic. That's what. It talks about the $6 million man comic books. Barbarella. Uh, would you consider Barbarella a superhero? No, not really, but Linda Carter's Wonder Woman. And uh, Vampirella. Mm-hmm. One of the most delectable and deadly of modern comic heroines, Vampirella has developed a sensational following in a very short time. Now to be made into a full-length motion picture, Vampirella will be played by former Playboy parent playmate Barbara Lee. Peter Cushing will co-star as Vampirella's loyal friend, Pendragon the Magician. Um, and they never made that movie, did they? <laughs> no. <laughs> this is wild looking at this. Like, all these things that everyone was hopeful for. Yeah. Mentions the Wonder Woman TV show, Bionic Woman. Um, another comic book female on the comeback trail is Sheena, Queen of the Jungle. 
Oh, yeah, they did make that movie, yeah. Interesting. I never saw it. Did you? Yeah, the one with Tony Roberts. Huh. Never saw it. And it mentions Doc Savage, Man of Bronze, and showing pictures of the Planet of the Apes, and about how the Planet of the Apes now make comic books. Great series by Marvel. And then here's back issues that you could buy. Your guidebook to the world well, there's of only science one, right? fiction. Because this is issue number two. There's yeah. only one back issue. But they're listing issue number two in here. Which, okay. So I guess if you had the... Let's say I was at your house and I wanted my own issue, I could order through here. Right. Right? Okay. That, that's the mentality of putting one and two here. Oh, two fifty each. Here it is. Two fifty each, but then it has the checkbox for a one-year subscription. Four issues for $5. It's a good deal there. Yeah. Two fifty each as a back issue or get four for five. Right. I mean, when I had a subscription later, it was expensive. It was like $36 for a year Yeah. for 12 issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Magazines were always more. See, that's why when I got into Starlog, I didn't get every issue in sequence. It was like, uh, like comic books were half the price. So I would get more comic books. It'd be less than half the price, probably. And then the final article for the magazine, The Music of the Spears. Fears. The real invisible man of science fiction movies is the music composer. Perhaps it's because when he does his work best, audiences don't notice. They just feel. But growing numbers of sci-fi fans do notice and eagerly collect recordings of these film scores. So it's an entire article about film scores, and not necessarily science fiction. It goes back to King Kong, 1933. But Sunset Boulevard... Things to Come. It's doing a lot of things from the the 50s as well. Uh, Bride of Frankenstein. Challenge of the Gods. 2001 Space Odyssey. I mean, when it comes to science fiction soundtracks, I'm going to say that's the one that sparked the most interest. 2001? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and... And And everyone knows that theme music. Everyone knows it. I mean, it wasn't made for that movie per se, but it became an iconic soundtrack. My dad had that on 8-track. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I remember hearing the 8-track playing of it. I mean, it was really, really popular. So it's an entire article of collecting LPs. And then it wraps up the magazine with a variety of puzzles. Classifieds. This is the first time we see classifieds in here. Are we alone? Do you believe? Send 25 cents for a brochure to the World of Unexplained Museum, Gatlinburg, mm-hmm. Tennessee. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple of them here. And we look forward to the next issue, Star Log number three. Final picture on the last, on the, on the back cover, Space 1999, the original television soundtrack. Thanks for listening. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and join our Facebook group. Live long and may the force be with you. Nanu Nanu. This show is brought to you by Hollow Sweet Media. Computer, list other available Hollow Sweet Media programs.
Loading Holosuite Preview Program for Blast Shield, a Star Trek Lower Decks podcast. And she starts swinging it in a ridiculously reckless way. But it's so over the top that I was laughing out loud. It's putting a smile on my face. I know you were laughing. I really when you first related saw it. to that moment. <laughs> you know I get over the top. It was, uh, I just think it gives a good idea at her. And the way they cut around it, it's so close in her face. You're like, oh my God, she's crazy. And then we get the moment where she just slices it into his leg. And it's very graphic. Very it's really, detailed. You see the muscle, like the different muscles torn. You can like see the, ligaments. The, yeah. Oh my goodness. Yes. Yeah, I think you see bone as well. Loading Holosuite preview program for There Are Four Questions, a Star Trek Spotlight podcast. I always thought I was special that I knew that the theme came from the end of of the original motion picture. Like I thought nobody knew that but me. <laughs> and of course, that was dumb to think. But that was and that was the thing that that always really sort of stuck with me. So in getting to in getting to work on Discovery, it was, you know, really really an amazing experience for me and an amazing thought to be able to start working in this world of this kind of narrative. But when when I talked to Alex about doing um Picard, it was on a whole nother level of, of connection for me. Computer, deactivate Holosuite.